Uh, and so we're continuing in uh, our, our journey through Matthew's gospel uh, and in our series, Kingdom Come. So we're going to turn uh, to Matthew's gospel now, uh, and we're reading from Matthew chapter 11 uh, this morning, and that is on page 976 of the Church Bibles, if you would like to be following a church Bible. Of course, you may still have your phone on, and uh, you can follow it on there. I don't bring my phone into church. It's upstairs in the office because it once rang in my pocket during when I was leading a communion service. Uh, and so I don't trust myself with it anymore. It's upstairs. I'll do all those things Gareth was encouraging you to do later on. But today, now, you might want to turn to Matthew 11. And we're reading, um, reading some selected verses from Matthew 11. And, uh, but I believe that they give a flavor of the, the whole chapter. And we'll be looking at them later on uh, this morning. So, uh, starting in verse 1 of Matthew 11, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. And then moving on to verse 20 of Matthew 11, verse 20. It says, When Jesus, then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of the miracles had, which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Karazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And then moving on to verses 28 to 30. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Amen. And speaking of rest, I suppose that takes us nicely into letting me just share something uh, from my sabbatical that I really believe that God has led on my heart to share with you here this morning. Going into my sabbatical, I was praying, Lord, you know, how to best spend the time. And yes, there was a little bit of time for rest and time for catching up with some family and friends who I realized I hadn't seen since I threw myself into all that is orange field. So I caught up with them as well. And, but I was, I was praying and, uh, and I believe God was leading me to reflect on my personal development as a, as a minister uh, and also on our collective engagement in his mission to the world. So I did that, and I wanted to share a couple of things that came out of that with you this morning. They're by way of of encouragement and by way of of letting you know some resources that are out there that you might want to dip into. So back in November, in November I had the privilege of spending a few days over in Switzerland, in the the cradles, those cities that were the cradles of the 16th century Reformation, and in the footsteps of the reformers of Ulrich Zwingli in Zurich, and of John Calvin in Geneva. And and over these past weeks, God has been bringing me back to studying and more of the life and ministry and mission of Calvin. 
Not a perfect man by any means, but here was a man who led the reformation of half the church, who transformed completely the city of Geneva, who recovered the biblical doctrines of grace, and whose theology continues to shape the evangelical church 500 years later. So just maybe I, maybe we, have something we could learn from this man. So, so I started uh, my reading with Calvin for today, uh, and then I got into John Calvin, Reflections on a Reformer, uh, and I uh, undertook a little bit of study online with uh, the Gospel Coalition and Ligonier Ministries, uh, whose European conference I had been able to be at here in Belfast in October. And you might like to check out some of their courses online. But they always recommend that we have a balanced diet. So uh, along with uh, looking at Calvin, I also used each day a a prayer book called Celtic Daily Prayer. Uh, It's an inspirational prayers and readings from the Northumbria community. But following my study of of John Calvin, this Celtic Daily Prayer book, it whetted my appetite for a little bit of a study in the Celtic church. The Celtic church was a very distinctive missionary movement here in the 5th and 6th and 7th centuries that that brought the gospel to these islands and that very effectively evangelized Ireland and Britain and beyond. By way of of my studies there, I I read the, 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 the daily prayer and the real story of Patrick and the Celtic way of evangelism, which is subtitled, How Christianity Can Reach the West Again. Now, you see, you might be thinking, John Calvin and the Celtic Church, well, they're at different parts of the Christian spectrum, are they not? But as I studied these two, uh, the church of the 5th century here and Calvin in the 16th, I started to notice a number of themes developing, a number of similarities, of common threads running through their witness and their life and their ministry and mission. And the first thing that struck me about these guys as I read was their very awareness, their real awareness of the very real presence of God right with them in every time and every place. Look at some familiar verses from what is commonly called St. Patrick's breastplate. Christ within me, Christ beside me, Christ behind me, Christ before me. I tried telling St. Patrick that God wasn't right present with him in every time and every place. And from Calvin's writings, we see that he was aware of living his whole life, as he put it in Latin, Coram Deo. Coram Deo, before the face of God. Every second of every minute of every day, Coram Deo. They had a real sense of God's presence, of his spirit always with them. The second thing I noticed was this their love for God's Word. Here's a picture of a couple of pages of the book of Kells. This uh, contains the gospel accounts. The early church was in love with God's Word. Her scribe would spend years producing the most wonderfully decorated and loved manuscripts and sharing the gospel with their people. Calvin then in his work, he has a major work that he calls or is called in English is the the Institutes of the Christian Religion. And Calvin writes, it is impossible for any man to obtain even the minutest portion of right and sound doctrine without being a disciple of Scripture. These guys read their Bibles. The common thread, the next one was this, a care for one another 
And guys, you might see where this is going, but this excited me and this reaffirmed some stuff for me and should for us. This concern for one another within the family of God. As Hunter, he writes in the Celtic church, he says, Celtic Christianity was a communal version of the faith. Its people were formed in community. You see, you just have to take a, a visit down perhaps to somewhere like Nandrum, just outside Cumber, the monastic site there, and you can see how the Celtic church was very much geared around caring for one another. Their settlements contained a church and a hospital and a school and accommodation for fellow pilgrims. And then in relation to caring for one another, Calvin, he quotes Cyprian, a third century North African bishop. And when he states, he says this, for those whom God is father, the church is mother. There is this real awareness that we can't do this stuff on our own. We need to do it within the fellowship of the church family, caring for one another. And yes, the fourth similarity between the Celtic church and John Calvin was their love of their neighbor and their zeal, their zeal to share the gospel far and wide. To get in on God's mission to share the gospel with every tribe and tongue and nation and language. Columkill traveled from Derry. That was before the Londoners had arrived, so it definitely was just Derry in those days. <laughs> Columkill traveled from Derry up to Iona and planted a church and spread the gospel throughout Scotland. Colin Banas, he, he left from Bangor Abbey. And he went and he founded this city that I stumbled across when I was in Switzerland that is called St. Gallen. And it's in the east of Switzerland. The church there founded by a guy from Bangor. And, and Colin Banas, another one, he left Bangor as well and went to Bobbio in Italy and planted a church there. Like, these guys were amazing, amazing faith and zeal and getting out of their comfort zone. They weren't scared to, to get out there loving their neighbor and sharing the gospel and taking it far and wide. And Calvin as well, with a real heart for mission, he writes this, God wants his grace to be known in all the world. And he has commanded that his gospel be preached to all peoples. And so I found this all really very, very reaffirming. Reaffirming for, for me personally, but reaffirming for us as a congregation of our own vision and mission priorities here at Orangefield. Because they are the same mission and vision that God gave his people Israel in the Old Testament to the fledgling church in the New Testament, to the Celtic church in these islands, to John Calvin and the Reformers. You would nearly think that God's hand was at work in all of this, wouldn't you? It's so reaffirming, it's so confirming, it's so exciting, it's thrilling to be part of it. And I believe that just like those generations before us, those servants before us, God is confirming to us in these days and calling us to prioritize, yes, his presence, his word, his people, and his world. To go deeper, to go deeper in hungering for his spirit, in reading our Bibles, in caring for one another, and in loving our neighbors. And I believe that over these past weeks in prayer and study, God has confirmed to me, and he wants to remind us of all of us of this wonderful Christian heritage that we can tap into, that we can draw on to, as we go forward, that we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses and that we are in the center of his will and in his mission to the world. 
His mission to see all, all nations, disciples made of all nations, to see his kingdom come and his will being done here on earth as it is in heaven. You see, Paul writes to the Philippians in, in chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And you know, that thrills me. Doesn't it thrill you to know that in these days of all these talks about borders and passports and citizenships, that our citizenship is in heaven? Our citizenship is in heaven, and by God's grace, we are unstoppably on our way there. We are on our way to heaven, but as we journey there, then Jesus also teaches us to pray that it will come here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are on our way there, but we also are to pray for there to come here. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Do you know, in the, in the world of education, we often talk about the three R's. The reading, the writing, and the arithmetic. And I believe that in our Bible reading for this morning, we see the three R's, not of education, but the three R's of the kingdom. The three R's of the kingdom. Firstly, we see this, repentance. We see this in verses 20 to 24 of our reading. In verse 20, Jesus says, he, Jesus, says Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were, had been performed because they did not repent. You see, the people of those cities were missing out on the benefits of the kingdom because they would not repent and believe the good news of God's love and God's good plans for them. Repentance is the key. Repentance is the key to the kingdom. Earlier in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 4 and, and verse 17, it tells us that right at the very start of his earthly ministry, Jesus began to, re, to preach repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You see, repentance is a word and an idea that has, has got a bit of a bum deal. It's often, you know, the word and the sort of concept is viewed quite negatively at times. But actually, repentance is a wonderful thing. Repentance is a wonderful thing. Repenting simply means me acknowledging that God has better plans for me than I have for myself. Repenting simply means accepting that God has a better plan for us than we have for ourselves. It's a way, it's turning away from our own ways and turning to a God, to God and His better ways. In my car, I have a little sat-nav. And I set it to try and go to places and my sat-nav speaks to me. And it, it says lots of different things. And one of the most, uh, I laugh at it because it calls this street out here the Castle Rig Road. So it speaks to me in a funny accent. And it says lots of different things, but you know what my satnav's favorite phrase to me is? Perform a U-turn <laughs> when possible. That's what it just likes sending me. Perform a U-turn when possible and for good reason. You see, if we don't perform that U-turn, then we won't end up where we want to be. If I don't do that U-turn, I'll end up somewhere where I don't want to be. And so it is in our lives. If we keep going our own way, we will end up somewhere that we really don't want to be. On the other hand, if we respond to the Holy Spirit's prompting to do that U-turn, to say yes to Jesus, to get on track with the Holy Spirit, 
then we'll end up where I imagine most of us want to be. In the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you've been going your own way. Maybe you've been living selfishly for yourself and ignoring God. Well, today God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you this morning. And he's saying, do a U-turn when possible. And today it's possible. Today it's very possible. You can do that U-turn right here and right now. This will be a great time and a great place to do that. To do that U-turn to put your faith in Jesus. To start to go in the direction that God wants to go, wants to take you. So that you can end up in the right place. Rather than somewhere that you really just don't want to be at all. So repentance, the first hour, that's the key to the kingdom. That's the key that, that opens us and lets us in to the other two hours of the kingdom. And I see here restoration. The second is restoration. John had sent his disciples to go and ask Jesus, was he really the Messiah? Here's a man languishing in jail with, with some doubts. And, and maybe you've got some doubts this morning. Well, you're in good company. John the Baptist. And others in our Bible. I love our Bible. so real. But listen for God's reassurance this morning. So Jesus says to, to John's disciples, go and, and, and tell John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and good news is preached to the poor. Jesus' preaching and teaching is confirmed and is accompanied by signs and wonders. And he, he, he is the very embodiment of the kingdom of heaven. And as he draws near... And starts to usher in this restoration. And this restoration is both physical and spiritual. We see that we're spiritually restored as, as we are reconciled to God the Father through the death and resurrection of Jesus the Son. Through his death and resurrection, that sin that had separated us from the Father is removed. Our debt is paid. And we are reconciled with the Father who loves us. The restoration is spiritual, but it's also physical. For not only does Christ bring forgiveness of sins, but according to what John's disciples heard and saw, he also brought healing to the sick and even resurrection to the dead. Now, I know that over the past few weeks, there's been a fair bit of teaching on the subject of healing. Gareth has taught on it, and Rick Hill was here teaching on it as well. But it tells us that John's disciples witnessed Jesus work of healing. They saw him raising the, uh, receiving the, the, the blind receiving sight, the lame walking, the lepers cured, the deaf hearing and the dead raised. Now healing the sick and raising the dead. What can I say? I don't fully understand it. I don't. But here's what I believe. I believe what it says here in God's word. I believe that Jesus healed the sick and raised the dead. He is God. All life proceeds from him. And as Gary opened our service this morning with a reading that I have here that I didn't know he was going to use, through him all things were made. Through Christ. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So if he made life, 
He can remake life. And in agreement with Hebrews 13 and verse 8, I believe that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Scripture tells us that He is present with us on earth by His Spirit and by His Word. And I don't see anywhere in the Bible, you see, that it says that He stopped doing the things that He did when He walked the streets of Palestine. And I don't know why He heals some people and not others in this scene of time. But I know that we are to pray for heaven to come to earth and there's no sickness in heaven. And I know that he will one day come back to judge the living and the dead. And those who have trusted in him will enter into a life of total restoration. Total restoration. For those who have trusted in Christ, there will be perfect health, perfect life, and perfect, glorious resurrection bodies. To dwell in the presence of all his glory and grace forever. And so as Christ brings in his kingdom by his spirit and his word, he leads us to repentance. He brings us restoration. And thirdly, and finally for today, he gives us rest. He gives us rest. In verses 28 to 30 of our reading, come to me, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. See, a yoke was something that was put across the shoulders of two animals to to help them to share whatever load they were carrying or, or drawing behind them. Are you here this morning feeling a little bit weary? A little bit burdened? Are you weary and burdened spiritually? Are you weary or burdened physically? Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest. And just with, as with restoration, this rest is both spiritual and physical. We can struggle spiritually with wrestling with guilt or sin or shame for those things that we've thought or said or done against God or against other people. The people of Jesus' day wrestled with the same spiritual burden. And in order to try to relieve themselves of that burden, then they they tried to keep religious laws. And it was 613 religious laws which just in themselves became a burden that they could never carry. And then along comes Jesus. Along comes Jesus. And he lifts the burden of those laws. And in his grace, he takes away the burden of all our sins upon himself. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Perhaps today you're burdened under the weight of sin or shame. Jesus wants to come alongside you and lift that burden off you. Or perhaps you're weary and burdened physically. Maybe you simply need a rest. Remember Mary and Martha? Martha busy flying around doing all the hard work. Mary just taking a break. Just sitting at Jesus' feet and Jesus says, 
Mary's doing the right thing here. She was taking a rest. We all need to take a rest from time to time. God has given us an example. In Genesis, he worked for six days and rested on the seventh. In Exodus, when he set his children free from 400 years of slave labor, of slave labor he said, follow this pattern. Rest. Work for six days and rest on the seventh. It's a, a principle and a rhythm of work and rest that is the teaching of our church and which is meant by God to be a blessing to his people. A Sunday school teacher, stories told of a Sunday school teacher who was um, sharing this, these verses to his, the children in her class and she asked, uh, who can tell me what a yoke is? And a wee boy raised his hand and replied, a yoke something that uh, you put on the necks of animals. You thought this was going to be a yoke as in I'm not yoking or something like No, she asked what a yoke is and this is not a yoke. What's a yoke? And a wee boy says a yoke is something that they put on the shoulders of animals, the necks of animals to help them carry the load. And then the teacher asked, so what, does it, what do you think it looks like when we take Jesus' yoke? upon us. And a little girl put up her hand and said, Miss, it's like God puts his arm round our shoulders and lifts the load off us. Yeah. If you're here this morning and you're feeling weary and burdened or spiritually or physically, come come to Jesus. Come to Jesus in faith and in let him put his arm around your shoulder. Let him put his arm around your shoulder and carry your load. That's his offer. That's his invitation. You can give it over to him today. He invites you. He is willing. He is able. For his is the kingdom and the power and the glory. So just as I finish and as the group come back up onto the platform, that's the three R's of the kingdom. Repentance, restoration, and rest. Jesus is here with us by the power of his spirit and his word. We're going to take a few moments now in his presence, in silence or in prayer or in song, however best you respond. Responding to what he's been saying to us here this morning and to receive what he wants to give us here this morning. If you need to repent, if you need to do that, you turn to say yes to Jesus and enter the kingdom, you can do that now. If you're longing for spiritual or physical restoration, then let's be open to what he wants to do amongst us this morning. And if you're burdened spiritually or physically, then come to Jesus and let him give you rest.